0: You're listening to the Tri State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at Facebook.com forward slash Tri State Reformed Church. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, where we read these words And the angel answered her, that is Mary, the angel being Gabriel. And Gabriel answered Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this incredible verse, passage of Scripture. We ask, O Lord, that, Father, you may be pleased to take us into some of the depths of this passage, O Father. Help us to take that which is probably pretty familiar to all of us, help us, oh, Father, to uh, work our way through the familiarity that, Father, we would see this text new and afresh this morning, and that we would see you new and afresh this morning. So, Father, we ask that you do these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Amen. As I said uh, a few weeks ago, it's easy for a... A pastor or a preacher to, in some respects, treat this passage differently than you would many other texts. And I say that because um, the the text is so familiar to us, for starters, and it's so deeply associated with uh, holiday tradition, if you will. And it's easy to hallmark this text, if you understand what I mean by that. I'm using the word hallmark as a And it's in the sense of a trademark, like a Hallmark movie or like a Hallmark card. Uh, When what we should be doing, I mean, this text should be treated just like every other narrative that we treat. And it needs, to be, um, it needs to be studied the same way, and it needs to be uh, mined for its truth the same way. And as we begin to do that, we discover that there are many truths in this text that are not secondary, peripheral truths, as we've been saying through the last few weeks. And we've been calling this, um, really, this uh, the last several messages, Crucial Truths. And one of those truths, as I mentioned last week, and we spent a little bit of time developing uh, the truth of the virgin birth. That's one of the crucial truths that we have in this text. And as I said last week, I believe it was last week, that through the 19th and 20th century, uh, many, many theological truths were under attack, but especially uh, the doctrine of the virgin birth. In fact, it's interesting, just as a point of history, some of you have heard of the series of booklets known as the Fundamentals. How many have heard of the Fundamentals? Maybe, maybe not too many. Um, as a uh, defense for the Christian faith against modernism, Right around the turn of the century, and this would be the turn of the 1800s into the 1900s. We used to say turn of the century, and what we meant by that was the turn of the 1800s to the 1900s. Soon when we, I think in a matter of time when we think of turn of the century, it's not going to be that anymore. It's going to be um, the 1900s into the 2000s. But this is referring from the 1800s to the 1900s as modernism and liberalism was getting so much traction. It inspired the pens of many, many folks to begin writing these booklets. And the very first article in the very first booklet was written by a Scottish uh, preacher known as James Orr. And the very first subject that James Orr took up was, guess what? The virgin birth. The virgin birth. And there were many other books that were produced during that time. One famously produced by J. Gresham Machen entitled The Virgin Birth. I think it was done maybe in the 30s, uh, Machen is writing that that work. Uh, so this, this morning what I want to do is I, I want to um, take a look at verse 35 and bring a few other verses in alongside of verse 35 so that we can uh, learn how to make not only a defense for the virgin birth, so that we can not only say to our, first say to our own hearts, okay, um, let me preach to my own heart first, um, how do I do this from Scripture? How do I make this case and this defense for the virgin birth? What exactly is happening in verse 35? Our first step is to be able to do this in our own hearts, but also we want to be equipped this morning to be able to do this at the, at the coffee pot at the workplace or at our lunch hour at the workplace or maybe at the gym uh, if we were going to make this case. Or in many cases, the, this doctrine isn't being so much assaulted anymore as fact people don't know about it or uh, they do know about it and they don't believe it. So how do we make the case for it? Now, this being the Sunday before Christmas, I don't want to just spend our time this morning making a case for this. We also want to be brought into the joy and wonder of this as well. So really the message is twofold. It's one, to re-look at and re-examine this truth, but also by by the work of the Holy Spirit, hopefully to be brought into the, um, the joy and wonder of it truly the joy and wonder of it. And let me speak to that for a moment. We are not really going to proclaim this truth until we have been brought into the joy and the wonder of it. You think about news. When you hear really, really good news that excites you inwardly, what do you do? You tell people, don't you? You can't wait to tell people. And that really is one of the key things that has to happen to each one of us. We have to, we, we have to be brought into the joy and wonder of it. I'm thinking of J.I. I think it was J.I. Packer that famously, uh, said that all theology should produce doxology. I think that was J.I. Packer that started that. So, uh, this morning we're going to look how, how to make an, a case, uh, for this and, um, and we're going to be looking at the joy of it. I want to begin with things that are most familiar to us. Um, if you pull out your Apostles' Creed that you have on in your bulletin, and before I um, before I go any further, I want to say that this is not Scripture. The Apostles' Creed isn't. We all know this. It's not Scripture. I just want to remind us. Sometimes we're a confessional church, and sometimes we're accused of taking our confessions and making them um, and holding them up to the same level of authority as Scripture. I don't know how anyone could come here and sit here for any length of time and come to the conclusion that we're doing anything like that. Um, that's not what we're doing. If the Apostles' Creed is not Scripture, then why do we recite it? Well, it's, it's, it's simply a profession of faith. This is a profession of faith that gives us the nuts and bolts. You know, it's not exhaustive. There are many things that we profess that we need to know that aren't on here. Um, it's not exhaustive, but it's really, really good. And I, I just I want to point your attention to just a couple of things. First, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed has a long time ago been divided into articles. Some of you will be aware of that. And oftentimes it's divided into 12 articles. The Heidelberg Catechism, for example, divides it into 12 articles. And the first article is the first line that we have here, uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty uh, to include maker of heaven and earth. So that would be our first article. Okay, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, notice I indent on here, maker. But when you come to the next line, the word and, and Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son, our Lord, it's not indented. I did that on purpose. Why we're doing that is because I want you to see the Trinitarian part of this. Article number one concerns God the Father who is maker of heaven and earth. Article number two concerns Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. And if you look down to I believe in the Holy Spirit, that is actually article eight. So we see we have a Trinitarian doctrine. We have, or document rather, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Again, it doesn't say everything about the Trinity. Um, Morris said, as Donald brought up the Nicene Creed, it's, B brought that up, I mean, I hope here soon to put, to have this, we've got the materials to put this um, on a, like a, a sticker that'll go inside the Psalter. I think we'll put it in the Psalter. And I think What we would like to do is put the Apostles' Creed maybe in the front cover and the Nicene Creed on the back cover because one of these days soon I want to start teaching on the Nicene Creed and we will start reciting the Nicene Creed in worship. Uh, But here, one of the things, back to the Apostles' Creed, one of the things I want to point your attention to is that articles 2 through 7 concern Christ, And if you look at it just in terms of real estate, you're going to see that a lot of the real estate of this uh, uh, profession of faith, if you will, is taken up with the person and work and ministry of Christ. And let's take a look at that. Uh, Article 3 is who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus was conceived. Then we see that he suffered suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sitteth, sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So what do we have here? We have conceived. We have born. We have suffered, crucified, dead, buried, descended, rose, ascended, and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We have all of these things going on. The only thing left for future is to come, is to return in judgment. But all these other things, they have been accomplished. Now, when you look at this long list of items here, what is first? Conceived. Conceived. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And of course, this first act is covered in Luke chapter one, verse thirty-five, as well as Matthew eighteen, one, or Matthew one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. And uh, in Luke one thirty-five, in our scripture text, here we read the words, the words of Gabriel speaking to Mary. You know, Mary has been given this amazing announcement. You know, back in verse 26, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in the same manner that he had come six months earlier to Zechariah. He comes to uh, Mary with this announcement, and in verse 31, he says to her, "'You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus.'" He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. and his kingdom there will be no end. And understandably, um, Gabriel doesn't have to say, do you have any questions, Mary? (laughs) Obviously she has a question. (laughs) She says to the angel in verse 34, how is this going to be? uh, Since I have never known a man... Now, we shouldn't take this as as any kind of unbelief on Mary's part. She is just processing this. And uh, Gabriel answers her with this astonishing answer. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, let's take that verse for a moment, and let's bring the light of some other verses in to shine on this. So keep your your place here. Put your bulletin in Luke uh, chapter one, if you will, and turn to another well-known passage. I've taught on this passage. I've made a lot of noise over the years on this passage. John chapter one, to the prologue of John's gospel. John chapter one. John chapter one. What we read in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the word was God um, I never get tired of reading that verse I hope you don't either I never get tired of reading it memorized it years and years ago I never get tired of reciting it in my own heart when I learned Greek started to learn Greek and learning Greek is a lot it's always a process you're always learning Greek And when I started learning Greek, I memorized it in the Greek. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it is a great exercise, actually, to to memorize it in the Greek as well. And some of you might be looking, well, I can't. Actually, everyone in this room can do it. Uh, you can do it. I can remember riding around with the kids teaching them. We'd ride around and the kids, the kids didn't know very many English words. And what's the difference? They can learn English as well. They can learn Greek as well as they can learn English. What's the difference? So we'd ride down the road and I'd say, NRK. And you hear their little voices go, NRK. NRK ain't uh, NRK ain't You hear them repeating after that. NRK. What is N-R-K? N-N-N-N. N. 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 Arche is the Greek word for beginning. It means it means beginning, ruler, master, sir. It's an interesting thing. We could talk about that for a long time. But arche, think of the word archaeology. Arche is a part of the word archaeology. So in the beginning, an arche. Hain. Hain is simply a, for, a form of the verb to be in Greek. It's a me, um, but it ain. It simply means was. In the beginning, was. In the beginning was halagos. You know the word logos. There's a logos, Bible software, simply means the word. Um, we have we say ology all the time. Theology, that's a word about God. Uh, logos, or ology, if you will, uh, c- comes from that, that ending there, ology, comes from uh, logos. So, anarchy and halagos. In the beginning was the word. Kai, we know the word Kai it simply means and. If you learn Kai, you've learned a whole bunch of occurrences in the scriptures. Kai occurs all the time in the Bible. Kai meaning and, also even. Um, but in this context, it means and. Kai, and arke hain halagos. Kai, in the beginning was the word, and the word Kai halagos was with God. Hain prostantheon was with God god now listen to this next line kai theos you know the word theos right it's god kai theos ain means was kai theos ain halagos does that say that says and god was the word We put it in English, usually we say the word was God. You know, uh, different languages put different stress on word order. English is a language where word order is very important. Um, It's it's a little bit of a different thing in Greek where it's maybe not quite so important. But think of that last line uh, God was the word. Now, here is, we have one of the clearest statements of the doctrine of the Trinity, especially the doctrine of the eternal Son of God. Who is he? Well, he was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was was God. What John is doing is taking us before creation, before anything that was made. There was the word. That speaks of his divinity right there, because if he was created, he couldn't be before everything that was made. He would have to be after at least something was made, and that, even if that something was only him, but it's prior to all of that. But then John comes right out and explicitly states that the Word was God. So there we have the we have the Father and we have the Son, and of course later the Holy Spirit is developed also as the God. And what do we have here? We have one God. When we're thinking about the Trinity, we always need to start with that point. We need to start with monotheos, one God. Mono mean one, theos meaning God. We need to start with one God. There is one God, but within God there are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in power, right? We've learned this from our catechism: equal in power and glory, correct. So here we have this amazing insight into the person um, of God, who is God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in power and glory. And then when you look down to verse fourteen, what do we have? And the Word became flesh. And the Word became flesh. Kai hallogos The Word became flesh. And you think about that amazing thing. Here we have the second person of the Trinity who has become flesh. Now, when you take that, when you take the light of John's gospel, the prologue of John's gospel, and you shine it upon chapter 1, verse 35 of Luke, and you read these words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Man, that's powerful. And I commend that to you. Um, you know, write these verses down. You're writing down Luke one thirty five, John 1.1, 1, 1, and 1.14. And you're taking, you're taking the light of John, and you're shining it down on here. So the Word, the eternal Word who was with God, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And here's Gabriel's announcement to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Um, what an incredible, incredible statement that we have here. And, of course, the um, eternal Son uh, will take on flesh. You look back to verse 31. What is, what is uh, Gabriel saying to Mary, He's telling her that you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, let's take two more passages of Scripture and shine on this. Um, you, can, you can let go of John. Keep a hold of uh, Luke chapter 1 and go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. It's going to be a little more difficult to do if you're using your phone. Um, but... Galatians 4:4 4, 4. Here the Apostle Paul is speaking. You have uh, Galatians. you go past Romans, go past both Corinthians, and you'll come to Galatians, First Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians chapter four, verse four, where we read, "When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born." of woman born under the law. What's Paul saying here? He's saying what we see that Jesus, what did Jesus say as we're studying John's gospel? What did Jesus say over and over again? He said that he was sent by the Father, didn't he? Remember how much noise I made about that of Jesus always saying that over and over again, that I've been sent by the Father, I've been sent by the Father. And here the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is saying that God sent forth his Son born of a woman What's really interesting is the way that God decides to come in to this world, the way that he decides to come in to creation, he, he decides to come in the same way each one of us have come in. It's really quite amazing, isn't it? Now let's add one more to this. Um, you, can cut, you have two fingers, one to hold Luke together, one to hold Galatians together, and turn back to the very beginning, back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. Now, of course, the context is the fall. Satan comes into the garden. He tempts Adam and Eve. They rebel against God, falling to his temptation. God comes to man, he comes to the woman, he comes to Satan. And in verse 15, God says this to Satan He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head, if you will, and you shall bruise his heel. And we refer to this, there's a technical term that we use to refer to this verse as the proto-eungleon, proto meaning First euangelion, me and gospel. Why do we call it the proto-euangelion? We call it the proto-euangelion because it's the first gospel promise that's given in Scripture. And what's interesting is, who's the first gospel preacher? It's God himself. And look at the timing of it. Right after Adam and Eve fall, God in his graciousness comes to them with the gospel news. (laughs) Wonder and Joy. That's, it's not just to fill our heads with just stuff, but the wonder and joy. They've just done this terrible thing, this, this hideous thing, and God comes to them with the wonder of the gospel. Now, here's a promise of a son. God's promising a son, and this son uh, is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. Or we could put it another way. The sun is going to come and crush the head of Satan. You know, its, it's he's going to get a fatal blow uh, to his operation is what's going to happen. Um, and all of these centuries go by. All of these centuries go by. What Paul calls the fullness of time. All these centuries have gone by. Here is this promise that a son is going to come. He's going to be a deliverer. And now you go back to Luke. You can let go of everything and go back to Luke to verse 35. Or actually, maybe it would be better to go back to verse 31, where Gabriel says to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. After all these these centuries, century after century after century, in the fullness of time, The time is now. God is telling Mary, the time has come. The son is now going to be brought into the world. You will conceive, Mary, in your womb, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We we looked at that last week. Jesus simply means Yahweh saves, doesn't it? Jesus means Yahweh saves you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's why I was praying the way I was praying in my pastoral prayer that Jesus is vested with unlimited authority. And he is king of a kingdom that is eternal. And then Mary asks the question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And, And Gabriel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I've been reading that verse over and over again on purpose because I want you to see something. I want you to notice the parallel structure of verse 35. Notice the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Think of that in your mind as one line. And then underneath it, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Notice the parallel between Holy Spirit and power of the Most High, and the parallel between come upon you and overshadow you. You see that? You now each line is giving us some, it's, it's saying the same thing in one respect, but it's adding a little more information in another respect. The power of the Holy Spirit, if you will, um, or the Holy Spirit coming upon you, power of the Most High, Overshadowing you, and we looked at this a little bit last week. We we made some connections with the Shekinah glory, and you can look at last week's message. I don't want to go into too much of that, but we also looked at creation, Genesis one two, where the Holy Spirit's hovering over the uh, over the uh, the abyss. You remember the word abyss. What does abyss sound like? It sounds like abyss. It's hovering over the abyss, if you will. And um, it's through the agency of the Holy Spirit that life is, is being given in the creation account. And that's what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow Mary. He's going to overshadow Mary so that she miraculously conceives a child. And that's one of the first things that we really want to hold on to. Actually, we'll call it the second thing. We've already been talking about the first, and that is that Jesus is God, right? That's John 1. That's John 1. The second person of the Trinity, the Son, became flesh, dwelt among us. But also, Jesus is fully human. Mary is going to conceive. What is she going to conceive? She's going to conceive a son. Uh, you will call him Jesus. So here we have not just uh, Jesus' divinity, We also have his humanity. And that's why I was thinking about Philippians 2. And if we return to Philippians, keep your place in Luke and return to Philippians 2. Someone might say, now I'm going to remember all this at the coffee pot. I'm going to show you how to do that. And the answer is, yeah, if you apply yourself just a little bit. Yeah, you will. You go back to Philippians 2, where the Apostle Paul is telling the Philippians, and by telling the Philippians, he's telling us to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. And what's Paul pointing to? He's pointing to the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is God, right? Verse 7, and this is another, and this is a whole sermon. I'm gonna to try to discipline myself because this is a whole other sermon, and I'm gonna dump a truckload on you if we go into the kenosis stuff some of you know what i'm talking about but this is another thing that was attacked all through the 20th century Um, but emptied himself you've heard of this idea of jesus emptying himself Um, and some a lot of that nonsense was that people took this that jesus was emptying himself of his divinity and that no no no, the context is very clear. He's emptying himself. He's veiling his glory is what he is doing. He's veiling his glory. He's taking the form of a servant, verse 7. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. See, that's the point. Jesus is not only God, but he's also human, fully human. He's fully human. So he's not like... An angel that only appears to be human, but really is an angel. So, I get that out of our heads. That's that's one of the isms we want to avoid. I'll, I'll leave out Nestorianism and Eutyches and Apollinaris, and we'll leave all. We'll do all that on another day because that will flood us. Um, but what we need to know right now is that Jesus is fully human. He is fully human. With a reasonable soul, as our catechism teaches. What's that mean? It means he has a a soul that he can reason with, just like we have a soul that we can reason with, right? He's fully human. Uh, Being found in human form, he humbles himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. He can only die if he's human, can he? Sometimes you'll hear people say, God died on the cross. Has anybody ever heard someone say that? Is that accurate? No. No, I'll say. Well, wait a second. Jesus, God, isn't he? Yeah, Jesus is God, but God doesn't die on the cross. If God died on the cross, God can't die. How does God die? If God died, who raised Jesus? This whole thing would fall apart. That's why we have to keep. You see, these are crucial truths. We gotta keep this together. Who dies? Jesus, in terms of his human nature, dies on the cross, doesn't it? It's a mystery for sure. But that's the point. That should bring you into the, the joy and the wonder. That's the wonder part. Um, it's the wonder part, isn't it? I mean, we can only go so far with these little brains that we have. They're quite small. They're, they're, they're not up to this task, right? You talk about your computer with the blue circle. Our brains are going to have blue circles all over them if we try to go much further than this. They're just going to sit and spin because we don't. uh, We just don't have it to go very much farther. But let's go just a little bit. Um, Think of uh, Hebrews. Keep turning right to Hebrews. You'll pass the Thessalonian letters. You get to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter four. There are actually quite a few passages in Hebrews we could go to for this, but go to Hebrews chapter two. And look at verse 14, and this is going to start to show us not only um, it will reinforce to us that Jesus was fully human, but it's also going to start to show us why this had to be. It's important that we see this. In verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. Okay, we're all flesh and blood, aren't we? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So you see, there was a necessity that he he does this. Well, why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. This is how he crushes his head. See how this is all connected? This is how he's going to crush his head. Does that make sense? Everybody good? Now look at verse 17. Therefore, never ignore that word. A lot of times our English readers will go right past therefore and not even see it. It's there. It's a really important word. We're going to see how important it is when we go back to Luke. But therefore, okay, in conclusion... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That's a mouthful, isn't it? But what is being said there? What's being said there is basically this. Jesus is going to be a high priest who doesn't show up with the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb. That's not how he's going to take our sins away. No, he's a high priest who's going to show up with his own blood. And it's going to be his own blood that takes our sins away. Now, how can he have human blood if he's not a human being? (laughs) Let's stop for a moment and pull alongside the road and not miss the beauty of where we are right now. Because I think I see a place to pull over that's got plenty of room for all of us to just to take a look at what's going on here. And my favorite, my favorite song to sing in these moments is, Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? You start processing this, and you can't sing these old Christmas carols the same way again. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive its king. What king dies for his people? Kings usually exploit their people. Our king died for us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how 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 do we make Christmas to be about gathering up a bunch of stuff and stuffing it under a tree, when we have these riches? You know what I'm saying? These riches bring healing to your heart. They fill you with joy, and they just bring healing to you. They just bring you. No one's thinking about their problems right now, are you? Not if you're tracking with this. You quit thinking about your problems for a little while, didn't you? And the problems now are where they belong. They're—they're. They're, I don't want to diminish in them in any way. But they're temporary if you're in Christ. This is permanent. We will see him, and we will see the holes in the hands, and we'll see him. we go back to Luke. How will this be, says Mary. I have not known a man. The angel said, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you." You know, there's been a lot of fanciful things said about this verse because. And we, you guys want to go a little bit further? Our minds okay? Someone say, "I think we're looking good, looking real good, actually." <laughs> Let's go one more step, shall we? A little bit of theology, and then we'll be done. Uh-oh. Obviously, we're all aware of the doctrine of original sin, right? What's the doctrine of original sin? Romans 5, when Adam falls, when he rebels, he's, he's a federal representative, meaning he represents us in the garden. And when he falls, we all fall in him. And therefore, every one of us have been born into sin. When Adam fell, we all fell. By the disobedience of one, sin came to all, right? Paraphrasing loosely Paul's words. Uh, There's the doctrine of sin. And and David speaks of this in Psalm 51, verse 5. You know, uh, in iniquity did my my mother... Let me... My mind's failing me on that verse. Psalm 51. I don't want to botch it up. I want to get it right. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What's he making reference to? He's making reference to original sin we 're born in sin we 're born sinners why do we why do we sin because we 're born in sin you know uh, we 're born in this and some have set, some have asked this question they 're like, okay, um, how can Jesus be born of the woman and escape the doctrine of original sin? anybody heard that question no i wouldn't be bringing it up right now, but There's a lot of really fanciful ways out there. I I should say there's one in particular, one very fanciful way that people attempt to get around that. And if you drive up and down the road, you'll eventually come to a marquee that says something like Immaculate Conception. Has anybody ever seen that? Now, what does that mean reference to? It's in reference to a Roman Catholic doctrine that is attempting to deal with this problem. It's actually an idolatrous doctrine. But what it teaches was that Mary was predestined for this particular task, which that we would say, yeah, we would agree with that, but what it goes on to say is that Mary is born without sin, because the question is asked, how could jesus how could how could Mary carry Jesus in her womb and Jesus then be born and escape the doctrine of original sin, which is you know, let's not diminish who Jesus is here for a moment um so they come up with this doctrine of immaculate conception. That, 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 okay, Mary, well, here's how you get around it. Mary, you see, she was born without sin, and she was kept from sinning her entire life. And they attribute this to Jesus. They'll say, well, it's grace that she received from Jesus, and she's born without sin. So you have immaculate conception. Um Bible doesn't teach that. I mean, where are we going to get that from? Well, you're going to get that from verse 35. Where in the world would you get something like that from verse 35? And again, I want to point your attention to the word, therefore, Because the word therefore is so important. It's easy for us as as English readers to skip over the word therefore, but look at verse 35 again. That's Luke 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Notice our parallel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, in a consequence of this, because of this, right, because of this fact, the child to be born will be called holy. Holy. How could he not be? How could Mary's womb defile the Holy One of Israel? I, one of my favorite passages to do evangelism with, especially when I'm, when I'm talking with people one-on-one, and especially if they have a burden on them, you know, whether, whatever that burden might be. If you look in Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16, this is one of my, this is one of my favorites. We have this wonderful story here where there's this man, he's full of leprosy. And he sees Jesus in verse 12. And he falls on his face and he begs Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does Jesus do in verse 13? He does the unthinkable. He does what no one would do. You see, when anyone else saw a leper, what would they do? They'd get as far away from him as they possibly could for fear of of being contaminated with leprosy. And to reach out or even to come in contact with this man could deem you unclean. But what does Jesus do? He does the unthinkable. He stretches out his hand in verse 13 and he touches him. Does Jesus get contaminated when he does that? Is Jesus now unclean? Does he have to go see uh, the priest and go through a battery of purification rites and rituals in order to get clean? (laughs) I told you a little bit of theology and we'd come to the wonder. No, the wonder is when Jesus touches the leper, the leper doesn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus makes the leper clean. You follow me there? When Jesus touches our filthy hearts, he doesn't become unclean by handling our filthy hearts like we would getting under the hood of a car handling all the greasy stuff. Instead everything he handles becomes clean it's no problem for the holy spirit to come into our hearts as soon as we become believers and dwell in our hearts even though there's a remnant of sin there is it and why should it be hard for us to believe that jesus could occupy mary's womb you follow my logic and my whole point is here is that Jesus, and this is a cardinal truth, that Jesus is without sin. If you, if you go back to Hebrews again and you look at Hebrews 4 and verse 15, it's good to have this verse in your toolbox. Not only to reach out to people, but to just to have it in your toolbox. Because... In verse 15 we're told Hebrews 4 verse 15 we're told that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness that would preach wouldn't it That would preach We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but who one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without what is without sin Can that which is sinful cleanse sinners that which is sinful needs a savior our savior is without sin and this is really helpful doctrine when we can't get it in our heads that we've really truly been cleansed which is really a problem for for a lot of us isn't it how do i know i'm clean how do i know i'm clean have you been touched by jesus because if you have been touched by jesus you're clean (laughs) You didn't defile him. He cleansed you. You see how important this is? How do I know if I've been touched by Jesus? Do you believe? Are you trusting in him? Really? Are you trusting in him? That's how we know. Are there fruits in your life that would corroborate a personal trust in him? Let me conclude by helping you put all this together. Say, how am I going to remember? Okay, Rick, I want to do this. This is exciting, and I want to do it at the coffee pot, but my, what do I do? Um, You take this in three steps, and don't worry about trying to do all three steps at once. Because generally speaking, when you're talking with people, a lot of times you can't get through the whole thing at once anyway. One of the last things you want to do is try to bury somebody like I probably um, make regular case of burying you. Um, I've been dumping a truckload on everybody. I tell everybody not to dump a truckload on. You know where I'm going. A little bit of humor to let our minds rest a minute. But let's think about this. Where did we start? We started by looking at Luke 1. We know Luke 1, right? Especially verses 31 and 35. Where Gabriel's telling Mary, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And then in verse 35, we have the holy we have the Holy Spirit coming upon you, the power of the Most High overshadowing you. Therefore, the child you're going to bear is holy, who be called the Son of God. Okay, so we have that. Now from there we go to John chapter one, verses one and fourteen, and if anybody wants to learn that in Greek, I'll be happy to teach that. That'd be a wonderful thing to do with our first Bible study in January. You guys let me know. Send me a text. Send me an email. If enough of you do it, we'll learn it on the first Wednesday of January. I was thinking of my study yesterday. That's what we'll do. I, had, I, I, I recommend it. Don't think you can't. You could leave there on Wednesday night, actually, with the tools to be able to do it. It's helpful, especially if you come across Jehovah's Witnesses. It's very, very helpful. It's very, very helpful. Uh, so you've got Luke 135, you've got John 1, right? Luke 135, John 1. You have John 1 shining uh, the light, if you will, on here. And then you've got Galatians 4.4. 4, and you've got Genesis 3.15. So you get those four po- spots in your mind. What you do is you write them down, you put the piece of paper away, and tomorrow morning when you're doing your devotion, start with Luke. And then try to find it without looking. Try to find the other passages without looking. And if you get stuck, you can look, but try to do it without looking. And then do it again on Tuesday. On Tuesday, you're probably not going to need to look. But what's going to happen is you're doing this. The Lord's going to start showing you stuff. He's going to start filling you up, and you're going to get excited. And as you get excited, part of what is winsome with other people is indeed your excitement. A lot of it is your excitement. You don't want to say, well, let's first talk to... You. you know, it's your excitement. A lot of it is your excitement. And that's your first step. Okay, don't worry about Philippians 2. Don't worry about Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. Don't worry about those passages just yet. Get that first part down. Then when you get the first part down, then you go back to Luke one thirty-five, and then you, you bring in, okay, we're going to look at it, that he's human we're going to bring in Philippians. You're going to be looking thinking about that. And as your scripture memory verse, Philippians 2, uh, especially verses 6 and 7 and 8. And Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 17. And Hebrews 4, 15. And you, get, you start to get that. And in fact, once you really get to that, you can make it two steps. You get to that, and you're, you're in pretty good shape. So start by writing these verses down. But write them down in steps. Don't try to do it all at once. Just do it in steps. Do the first part first and do the second part only after you've got the first part done. And there's no one in this room that can't do it. You'll be amazed. And if, if you do this through this week and then next week, maybe look at it a couple of times. and The week after that, look at it a couple of times. What you're going to be doing is you're going to be starting to bring this into your, and not, in, not just in your short-term memory, but you're going to be starting to bring it truly into your long-term memory. And there's another really cool thing, and I'll close with this. Another cool thing is this, is that it, a lot of times I discover as I'm learning these new truths and I'm working through these new truths, the Lord puts opportunities right in front of me to use this stuff. I don't know if you've had that experience or not, but a lot of times as you're doing this, the Lord will put opportunities right in front of you uh, to use this. So don't be a bit surprised if you're not having um, tea with a friend over the holidays and don't be scared to share this Um, or you're having coffee with a friend over at Horton's or somewhere don't be afraid to share this amen heavenly father we thank you lord for the truth that we have here in the gospel which has so warmed our hearts father we've been taken into the joy um, and wonder of a great truth that is not it's not secondary as we say with our hispanic friends no segunda." It's primary. It's Primera. See si Primera. It's Father, we thank you for these primary truths, O Lord. That Father, th- these are nuts and bolts truths, first principles of our faith. Help us to know these things well. Help us to be able to give an answer for those who ask that we would be able to defend the faith, O Father. But Father, help us first and foremost to get these things in our hearts and fill us, O Lord, with the joy and the wonder, the joy and the wonder of the virgin birth the joy of wonder of you coming in time, space, and history. Fail us, O Father, with these things in Jesus' name. Amen.